had a thought here when I was walking up here. Those of you that have been here for quite a while as we've been filling the pulpit, uh, we have two uh, people that have obviously been wounded. They're limp. They, can, they have to have help walking up here. We have one with a major brain injury. We have one that is at least halfway through Alzheimer's. And then, of course, there's Tom, which that's self-explanatory. It sort of makes me concerned about you. You're listening to us. It says something about you. Hopefully, it says something about that uh, you'll walk away saying, if you're touched by anything, that it has to be God, because we just don't have a lot to offer you today. So, again, uh, last week, those of you that were here, uh, Nick did an awesome job of starting out with uh, the grace uh, for salvation, and uh, I think that that was an incredible, clear picture that you and I and none of us had anything to do with your coming into faith. It was God alone that called you, that drew you, that chose you, and adopted you into his home and chose you. And uh, that we hopefully surrendered and embraced that, if that was not true of you, that you did bow your knee and open your door and say, Lord God, I have sinned against you. My life has been a testimony of making myself my own God, and you have came, and you've redeemed me, and you paid the penalty, and I opened my life that you might come in and inhabit this body. There's a lot of attack this last couple of weeks, uh, just in, in just a lot of the believers that I know, and I got a little dis... Uh, I just bothered a lot by the enemy and his attacks, and... Uh, Though after the message last week, uh, we all have a sister and a brother that were born into our family. They bowed their head. They asked Jesus Christ into their life, knew exactly what they were doing, and they're starting anew. And I realized, I said to Satan, you lose regardless. He that is in us is greater than he that's in you. And we can rejoice in the midst of his arrows and stuff. We can rejoice that still people are being snatched out into his kingdom forever and ever that we will be together. And I rejoiced in that. It was, it was a, a delight. Now, when we talk again, and I just want to keep emphasizing, and everybody up here, I think, will try to do that, we are talking and breaking down this whole topic of grace and law and licentiousness and and obedience and all the different things. For our sake and for your sake, we are cutting them out and we're kind of trying to do a week-by-week -week talk. But once again, I want to remind you, they cannot be broken up. You cannot understand one without the other. They're actually like a, a, a pool that all of these truths are poured into one pool and that pool blends together. And that pool basically is the name Jesus. It says in uh, John 1, 14, that, uh, you know, that in John 1, 17, that Moses came law, but through Jesus Christ came grace and truth. He says, I am truth. I am grace. The word grace literally means chaos. It means to rejoice and be glad. To rejoice and be glad. 
But sometimes it saddens me when I look at the Christian life and many times my own life. And I, I wonder if that is being reflected from me. Is it reflected from you? This, this amazing rejoicing and being glad. I sometimes wonder if uh, we're sort of like the slave and the slave that was kept in, in, in a prison pretty much under a master, a hard master, and then after the war and they were released and they came and they told him, you are free. And I get a picture of this slave standing outside the gates of the mansion and he's standing there no shirt on, just some trousers, scars on his back, not knowing where to go or what to do. And I, and I think sometimes in this whole area of grace, uh, we, we, we all seem to embrace it for your salvation, for you coming into the family of God and the kingdom of God and God coming inhabiting you. But I think there's real confusion that comes after that, the grace for now, the grace that literally pours out in your home, the grace that pours out in your workplace, what does it look like now? I see so many people, and the majority of the people I've seen in the last 37 years, these are many times pastors, they're leaders, they're elders, they understand the gospel presentation, they do well, but they have so quickly walked back underneath this whole thing of performance. I want you to listen as I read Galatians 3, 1 through 5 from the Phillips translation. Just listen to the words of what Paul was saying. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, who saw Jesus Christ crucified so plainly? Who's been casting a spell over you? I'm going to ask you one simple question. Did you receive the Spirit of God by trying to keep the law or by believing in the message of the gospel of good news? Surely you can't be so idiotic as to think that a man begins his spiritual life in the Spirit and then completes it by outward observances of rules. Has all your painful experience brought you nowhere? I simply cannot believe it of you. Does God who gives his spirit and works miracles among you do these things because you have obeyed the law or because you have believed the gospel? Ask yourself this question. On to verse 23 it says, So if through your faith in Christ you are dead to the principles of this world's life, why? As if you're still part and parcel of this worldwide system, do you take the slightest notice of all these purely human prohibitions? Don't touch this, don't touch that, don't taste this, don't taste that, don't handle this. This and that and this and that and all the other. These are all going to pass away after use. I know that these regulations look wise with their self-inspired efforts at worship, their policy of self-humbling, their studied neglect of the body, but in actual practices, they do honor not to God, but only to man and his puffed-up pride. A whole new way awaits us. And a lot of times I think we, we think about, I just, just want to know kind of what God's will is in this and God's will in this. And I pray that as we open up in this next six, seven, eight weeks, that we'll be set free to experience what we were designed for and find out that the direction really isn't as important as the journey. 
that there is a journey that you're on in your intimacy with God, and God is going to do anything he can to draw you together with him. You see, the, the living under law does not demand relationship. It just doesn't demand it. We can have kind of rules, and we can have things we read, and we can read all the good stuff, and, and it really is good stuff. Even the scriptures give you wonderful things about how to act. But if it is without the life, it profits you nothing. I've told you this before. I didn't see if my wife's here today, but I told you this before that when I stopped playing baseball and moved into a, kind of my new job, I just subconsciously decided that I was going to be a great husband. I said, that's one of the things I'm going to be, a great husband. And so I studied diligently the scriptures and looked at the book of Ephesians and went from the New or the Old Testament all the way through, and I had a whole sheet on all the things that good husbands do. And I began the checklist. And then I'd get some more because since somebody had sent out a book about husbands, you know, husbands call their wife from work about every hour and a half and tell them you love them. So I would call. Husbands give gifts sometimes when they're not expecting. I would get gifts. And the thing that happened is that I was really checking them off. I don't think my eyes were one minute on Nancy. They were just on the list. You see, I didn't really have to know what Nancy needed at that time. Because if I was probably tuned in, having three wild boys living at home, I probably would have realized, I don't know that she needs these things. I think she needs me to come and rescue her at times. But it's easy with the list. Matter of fact, it says that, uh, it says that grace is fully dependent on relationships. It cannot exist without them. I think we become so comfortable with formulas. And how we get formulas, and I am guilty of it like anybody else, but the Scripture warns us against these things. It says, who has bewitched you? Actually, the word in Galatians is, was a, an evil eye, and it was basically from a cobra, a cobra snake. And it would come up, and it would almost paralyze you by the eye, or it was taken from witchcraft and the eye of, of that whole thing, and it would almost steal you and mesmerize you and then it would snatch you and he's saying who's bewitched you I just want to know that you saw Christ crucified you saw only by faith are you brought and saved into his kingdom why are you going to go back under now and make his grace insufficient for you and he says I want you to pay attention to these things and so I, I, I look and I see that here's how it happens we do something that seems to work Good example, we'll show you this in a second, but something works. When it works, we start practicing it. And when we practice it, it can become a habit. And when it becomes a habit, sometimes we now turn it into a rule or a law, and we make it a law, and then we demand that it be done, and then we judge everybody that's not doing it. Do you know this is how Sunday school started? D.L. Moody uh, in the decided in the, in the downtown Chicago that he basically would have a, a way of maybe reaching people that would bring people from outside that weren't really a part of the congregation and start, and they would have a Sunday school. And so he started something and started a bus movement, and that would pick up people, and it just absolutely exploded. It was so awesome. People were coming to faith that other churches saw it and said, wow, that's what we need to do. 
And it continued and continued until it became pretty much a law. You see, God was talking to D.L. Moody. Now, I'm not against Sunday school. But we do that with all kinds of things. And we don't know that it robs us from the very peace that God has meant for us. Any of you guys see the movie, The Shawshank Redemption? Great movie. If you have not seen it, it's worth seeing. And here's a quote in that movie from one of the inmates that was incarcerated. And it says this, At first these walls, you hate them. They make you crazy. After a while, you start to get used to them. You don't even notice them anymore. And then comes the day you realize you need them. You don't even know how to live without them. And I think that sometimes is the way that we live. We, we like to have the rules. We like to have all these lists. We like to have what do we need to do so we can get up and you go to Sunday morning church, you do that. Oh, I forgot, I'm supposed to have a devotional, so I have my devotional. Maybe memorize scripture, got that checked. We like those walls, we like those rules, but I want to encourage you on something, that that will never, ever demand a relationship. Everything that we are going to share up here in the next 10 weeks is going to be built around two things, and that is the relationship with God about the person of Jesus Christ and that he is glorified and how that impacts other people through you. That is it. If it's something different from that, Paul says, if somebody's going to teach you something different than them, let them be mutilated. Paul stood pretty strong on this point. And it's, we're all vulnerable. There's nobody in here that is not. Peter, who was the father of the church, the one that, that pretty much was uh, the one that P Paul came to, to talk to, it wasn't long till he was bewitched. He was the one that was teaching this and preaching it, and thousands were coming to faith. And then he began to see some things happen, and he started pulling back, and he started uh, not eating with the Gentiles because they were unclean and unholy in his mind. And pretty soon... Paul confronted him to his face. The word there literally means he came to Paul, he screamed into his face, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I, so I think we're all vulnerable. And this is just a reminder that God has given us not only his life and his grace, not only for salvation, but how do you live life on an everyday way? How do you do, how do, you do it? How do we actually do it? I was, uh, I think I was at your house, Tom, and I, I had not seen extreme sports. I don't know if some of you have seen extreme sports, and you see some of the times people on motorcycles and what they can do. I mean, I thought I was really cool when I could actually do a wheelie. You'd walk it and walk a little bit, and I was horrible because my brother would just fly by me, but I thought that was as cool as it gets. Now they come up, and they do flips and like this, and they whip the bike around, and their body goes this way. I'm sitting there, how in the world do you practice this? He said because they, they practice, and there's a lot of different ways, but there's a great big pit with styrofoam, kind of like pillows. They fly into this, and they make some, you know, and they land, and they don't get hurt because they land in the pillows or the styrofoam of grace. It protects them when they try different things. You and I are supposed to live so free 
that people look at us, and Galatians says, wasn't it for freedom that I set you free in Jesus Christ? Why do you keep putting yourself back underneath these yokes of slavery? Now, we are going to talk about obedience, and we are going to talk about sin and licentiousness later, but I want you to grab this because if you do not grasp this, you're not going to be able to know how to extend grace to other people. Because as judgmental as you are towards yourself, you will be for other people. But what happens in this, this styrofoam pit of grace is these bike crews can say, you know, I've never done a gainer on a bike. Let's give it a try. I wouldn't doubt the first time they tried, they did not make it. They probably went like this, and it fell down, and I'm sure the people were laughing at them and kidding with them, but they kept trying and say, hey, I think I can do it. It kept going and going. And is this not what Isaiah is saying when he says, and when I put this new heart in you, a new heart, I'll t- kill the old one, put a new heart in you that will be sensitive to the Word of God, no longer needing others to teach you, but the Spirit of God living within you will teach you. And then he says... Then you will hear a word whispering in your ear whenever you get to the left, whenever you get to the right. Now, when I first read that, I actually thought that this is what that verse was saying. Bill, if you'll listen, God's going to whisper in your ear everything what to do. He's going to tell you, step right, step left, turn this, go to McDonald's, go to this. He's going to tell me all these things. The Scripture does not say that. It says that you will walk in freedom, in liberty, within the walls of God's character as revealed in his word through the Son, through the Holy Spirit, and you just walk freely, and basically you have styrofoam pillows of grace. Whenever you get to the left, then you'll hear the word of the Holy Spirit saying, shh, this is not the way, walk over this way. You hear it, and that's what it means in grace. I think so many of us... Uh, In in the book that I wrote, I I quoted a guy, and I loved the quote. It said, so many of us tiptoe through life just trying to arrive at death safely. We don't challenge. We're afraid to do something that will make a mistake because, well, if we make a mistake, boy, we are really going to be in trouble. This This is what grace was for, that you and I can go ahead and love God and live boldly by saying, God, I want to love those that you put in my life today and let you love freely through me. And I'm just going to basically go with what I believe you've laid in my heart, and I'm going to do it. If it's not, and it isn't, isn't uh, the, what he asked, I'm going to hear a word by the Holy Spirit saying, Bill, this is the way, walk in it. And I get up and I can do again. That's why it says in Proverbs, uh, it says, the righteous man, he falls seven times, but he keeps getting back up. Let me give you a little picture of how not to do it. Uh, my oldest son, he uh, came home one day from school and obviously had been either talking or visiting with some of his friends. And uh, he got involved in something. And as he got involved in it, I, at first I wasn't very concerned. I thought, well, that's all right. All b- boys do this occasionally. And he got involved in it, and I started to see him more and more involved. I saw it taking more of his time, and in my mind, more of his freedom than anything that I thought was over the top. And so I began to realize, okay, this could be a problem. So I confronted him on his collecting baseball cards. 
He knew every card. You could ask him, 1965, Ken Griffin, he'd tell you not only his weight, his height, what his average was, he could tell him everything. It didn't matter what card I picked out of the hundreds of cards, he knew all of the stuff. And I'm, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, just think of the time you could be spending memorizing scripture. And maybe, you know, you could take some of your money and we could really start to teach you a little bit on saving and giving to the poor. And every time I brought something up like this, and I thought I was doing it in a really kind manner, I, every time I brought it up, all I saw was him, was his head down, and I was losing the relationship over baseball cards. I had every scripture that could back me of why he should be not going into baseball cards and rather being in the scriptures. But I was caught in the letter of the law. There was no grace extension. And when I finally realized that my efforts of trying to go ahead and get him to change were only distancing him from me further and further, and I'd find him just maybe sneaking looking at cards. I was driving him away by my rules. You know, nobody thinks your rule you have is bad. And normally it usually comes somewhere from religious spirit or even from the scriptures. Let me clarify that for some of you. Jesus says, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you search the scriptures because you think in the scriptures there's life. I'm life. They point to me. The scriptures that are living and alive with my life in them, they are what is truth and will set you free. So, I've repented to God. I didn't know what to do other than I knew I was losing my relationship. I'm sure I shamed him, disappointed him, just like we religious people do to people when they're not doing what we're doing or we roll our eyes. We have, we're great at rolling eyes at people. You notice that? Oh, so you, you went up and you stopped at Deadwood. You bought another pair of jeans? We don't say it. We just, we just roll our eyes. It says enough. So I did what I should have done at the very beginning. I got him in the car, and we went down, and I bought the Nolan Ryan rookie card. And I started engaging in him. And you know what God showed me? Jess's love language is encouragement, words of encouragement. I started seeing the fascinated mind that God gave him on how he could gather that information. And so what God showed me is how to engage with him, partake with him, look at ones with him, and say, oh gosh, what did that one cost? We got that for a good deal. The relationship started to get closer together. He began to draw to me, wasn't afraid of me anymore. And grace brought love into our relationship. And by the way, probably made him some money. He still has a lot of them. But I could encourage him, encourage his mind. You know what? He's a, he was a great young boy. And I almost destroyed it. There was another time. I'll give you a story of kind of a, a background of this. We sold our house uh, when we lived, I don't know where it was, over here or somewhere. 
And we sold our house and we made some money and I decided we're gonna, we're you know, Irish, we're gonna go to Ireland. So I got my family and, and all of my family and their spouses and we got them all packed up and we were going to Ireland. And uh, we, we kind of just were building it up and building up. And by the, the way, my father's, we come from the clan, Mick Ewan, and uh, my mom's Fitzgerald. So there's pretty much good Irish around there. So we go over there and we're, we're kind of coming into Dublin and we're coming in and we see a pub over here called Fitzgerald's. And we're thinking, this is awesome, the perfect place. And of course, you guys have known Nick. Nick can be a little macho at times. And so he's kind of, this is going to be cool. So we go in and we go in there, we sit down, we say, we'll have Guinness all around. And we take the, the mugs of Guinness, we bang the glasses together and the suds flow over, and we all have a drink of Guinness. And Nick goes, oh, God. And he says, I so wanted to like this. Well, early on in my Christian life, that's how I felt, and that's how beer was to me. And one day I came home, and my neighbor, uh, and I just said I've been trying to share with him, trying to you know, tell him, and I think I was driving him away more than I was anything. And one day I said to him, hey, let's go down and shoot pool. I didn't know how to shoot pool. But uh, I go down to shoot pool, and I buy us a beer. Now, that's how beer tasted me back then. It wasn't something I was just giddy about. But I felt like the Spirit told me to do that. There was nothing that I could see biblically wrong. I don't know the whole story. I called him this week and asked him. And he said, I think the words were, I found out that I could be a Christian and enjoy life. And it, he said, it, it started me on the process of coming to faith, just going down there. And he's the guy leading music here every day. You see, I believe God designed us to be free, to have a relationship with him, to know you are not only saved by grace, but that you continue on in grace. And every morning you can basically get up and say, Father, here I am, your container. How do you want to live through me, love through me today? And I want to be wild and extravagant on this. I want to, and we'll get to where you've got to understand the scriptures because otherwise the Holy Spirit's going to be continuing to say, nope, this is the way I walk in it. Nope, this is the way I walk in it. You've got to have some understanding of the relationship that you have with Christ. You see, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. It is the same way with everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, I want to close with one thing here. When you get at least a, a touch of this and you get rid of, which, which I'm not sure who's doing it, Dave, I don't know if you are or whatever, but we talk about get out from underneath the law. That doesn't mean you get rid of the beautiful word and the law of God, which will show you the difference. But when you get out from underneath the law, life is ready to absolutely celebrate. And then the word grace means I rejoice, I am glad in it. But then it comes to the place where God's going to say this. I did not only give you grace for your freedom and your living, I gave you grace for others. Let me read you a portion of Scripture. And I want you just to listen to this because I hope that this will be something that we in this congregation will do which makes 
us attractive. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I'm entreating you, walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling, with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, making allowances for the faults of others, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, for there is one body, one Spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. And you are members of this body. In letting you at least leave with this, where will you go with this, what will it do? I did not give you any formulas today. I just want to challenge you the same thing that Paul challenged the Galatian people. Don't step back underneath something that God set you free from. And be willing to say, all right, God, here I am. I'm not sure how to do it, but let's go. And then as you begin to let things be unfolded in your life and you realize this grace penetrates everything of your life, it will begin to touch how you see others, view others, accept others, allow them the freedom to fall, allow them the freedom to fail, making allowances for the faults of others. There's nothing more attractive to people than to live in a graceful atmosphere where they're not judged and condemned all the time. You saw in a little teeny brief thing what I almost did to my son's relationship. And I could have continued going, took the baseball cards away, because for the sake of the scripture and memorizing and this stuff, I could have saved his soul from baseball cards. And I would have lost the relationship, which I hold dearly. He's one of my best friends. I did it poorly. I made a lot of mistakes. And God said, whispered, this is the way, walk in it. My feeler wasn't tickled to go spend money on baseball cards. But somehow I responded, and I gave him the grace to just do and live life as he would live it. Would you please ask the Holy Spirit to show you, not only yourself, but also those around you, am I extending the same grace that I am now learning to receive from God? Would you pray with me? Father, it's, uh, it was difficult for me to pick the scriptures. There are so many. Your entire book is because it's really a story about Jesus. For he is grace, he is truth. And maybe just in some unique, clever way, we are camouflaging a message about grace and law when really it's just once again a story about you and how good you are, how graceful you are, and that you might be glorified in our words. I pray, Holy Spirit, you put a covering protection over these people because I know the enemy cannot stand your people being free. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to anticipate that you will answer the, quest, the request that we've made, and we'll be a church of freedom that also outperforms any kind of law. And I ask you that with all the confidence because Jesus said I could ask you that. Amen. Amen.